0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Stephen Kreisich of the Lotto Jumbo team as well, and Adam Yates of Orica GreenEdge and Anthony Turgis, who had a little bit of a tumble as he headed in towards Scarborough, but stayed on his bike
1: great britain have won their first medal it was adam peaty in a world record time breaking his own world record she punches the air and she
0: crosses that blue finish line the world champion of 12 months ago who finished
1: second here last time around has won it the athletes village is not a place for fighting i've never heard that ever in olympic and paralympic history
0: This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast, covering the games all the time rather than once every four years. I'm Michael.
1: And I'm John. And coming up in this episode, diving right back in, Russia and Belarusian athletes will now compete again, but as neutral athletes say World Aquatics.
0: And we are out and about for this podcast at one of the key sporting locations in this country although you might not have heard of it.
2: Worst case, it could be really, really hot in Paris next year. It might be 40 degrees. So sports like that really have to take the gamble that we need to be prepared.
0: We are actually at Bisham Abbey, and we're here at the invitation of UK Sport and the UK Sports Institute. More about that coming up shortly.
1: We'll also have our news from the Games, tennis, canoeing, gymnastics, rowing and athletics.
0: And I might need to do the heavy lifting, judging by the sound of your voice at the moment. You can always have your say as well. Find us on X at Anything But F. You can find us on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Threads as well. And we'd love to hear from you. There is a Contact Us page on our website, and that is at anythingbutfooty.com. Send us a message there now let's start with aquatics world aquatics the organization in charge of swimming is allowing russia and belarusian swimmers back into international action they released a statement this week it said after extensive consultation and deliberation that they had unanimously approved the strict new guidelines for all their events in the build-up to the Paris 2024 Olympic Games they claim two-thirds of swimmers that is from junior elite and masters back the plan too so they've obviously been taking soundings from the people that will be affected by this swimmers will have to compete though not as Russia not as Belarus, uh, but as individual neutral athletes they will only be permitted to compete in events where a time or result is established by the performance of a single athlete And a maximum of one individual neutral athlete from Russia and one from Belarus per event will be allowed to compete at the World Aquatic competition. So that means no team events, no relay teams. And the World Aquatics president, Hussein Al-Muzalam, said, Despite the challenges we face on the international stage, we acknowledge our responsibility to foster a competitive, fair and inclusive environment for every competitor. I would like to thank all those involved in developing the strict and fair approach we have agreed today.
1: It's interesting that they, unlike World Athletics, have changed their mind. And it's a bit like what I was talking to you about having covered Wimbledon, is that it feels, and again the US Open's on at the moment, and Medvedev and uh, Rublev are, are meeting, I think, in their, their, their quarterfinal, and there's no issue with it. They are neutral athletes. No one really calls them Russian athletes. Some people still do. World Aquatics have said, well it is working in tennis. We're going to be really strict with the rules, and only one entry from each country to each event, so there won't be three neutral athletes in the men's 200 meter freestyle against Matt Richards, for example, from a team GP point of view. Yet you kind of feel like this has to be done to see if it can work. And I think we're going to find out whether it will work and how really athletes feel about it, because that's two-thirds of people. Uh, According to World Aquatics, two thirds of swimmers saying that they back the plan.
0: Let me say now, I think there will be athletes from Russia and Belarus at the Games at Paris. I think they will be at the Olympic Games. I can't see now, unless obviously there are major geopolitical developments on the world stage, you know, far beyond the remit of this podcast, but if if the status quo is maintained, as we are at the minute, as we sit here in Bisham Abbey and talk at the start of September, if the situation hasn't changed beyond much of what we already know is happening in Ukraine, then I would say that athletes born in in Belarus, now I keep calling them Belarusia, Belarus, <laughs> and and um, and Russia, uh, will be at the Olympic Games in Paris. Not there as a Russian team. Not there as a a Belarus team but there as as individuals and there I think we have a duty as reporters, journalists, broadcasters, commentators, presenters, whatever it is that we go there and do in trying to then tell the story that they are there as neutral athletes in the same way we might with the refugee team for example we talk about that being the the international refugee team we just talk about them being athletes if you like have no fixed abode.
1: but would you want them on a medal table so when I wrote the blog a few weeks ago and I said one of the things they need to not do is have the, as team events and we see their World Aquatics saying no definitely not team events but I said don't put them on the medal table either don't call them something because in Tokyo it was the ROC the Russian Olympic Committee or whatever now we, we know that won't be the case this time but don't even put them on the medal table
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one because, you know, I could see an argument for just having neutral athletes because there is the possibility there might be neutral athletes from countries other than than Russia and, and Belarus you know we've seen that before haven't we where where other nations maybe haven't competed as a nation in the Olympic games for whatever reason whether that's political interference um you know we've I think we've seen that with Kuwait in the past for example haven't we where there was seemingly political interference over their sporting team and that would then be a detriment to some of those athletes so yes i agree we can't have russian olympic committee we can't have belarus uh, olympic committee whether we just put the individuals there with their medal, we just name the individuals, whoever it is, and there are a load of extra names—bronze, silver, and gold medals—that might be the answer. Um, but I certainly don't think we can have, you know, any reference, whether that is in, um, you know, what teams are, are what uh, the individuals are wearing to compete in. Certainly, no anthems, no flags, no marching in the ceremony or anything like that, and and certainly not on the medal table as well.
1: Now we know the Olympic. Uh, executive board is meeting this week. They're gonna, you're going to tell us why they why they're meeting in a moment, um, to do with uh, sporting events maybe coming into the uh, LA Games, but we also know they're not going to make a decision this week on Russia and Belarus. So uh, as we're saying, we think, I agree with Michael, that they will be so-called neutral athletes competing in Paris, but that decision has still not been made yet by the IOC.
0: And we're here with UK Sport today here in bisham abbey we have often referenced an interview we did with the chair of uk sport katherine granger where she said as an athlete she just wanted to know she wanted certainty and she wanted that as soon as she possibly could we've spoken to some people here today that don't necessarily agree with that and they're saying that as an athlete um you know does it really matter maybe Dame Catherine Granger thinks about it more than some other athletes that might be on the Olympic team. That Actually for them it doesn't really matter, they just control their controllables, they wonder about what they're doing, focus on their performance and whoever is next to them on the start line or whoever is opposite them on the pitch, they will deal with that when it happens.
1: And we know that the IOC Executive Board is meeting this week as I say, and they're going to probably say that cricket is going to be part of the LA games in 2028, as well as flag football, which is American football, but you have flags on you and you grab the flags. It's like non-contact.
0: Yeah, I'd hardly ever heard of flag football until that announcement and that it got offered as a club for the autumn term for my two daughters at their school. So I'm all for flag football in the hope that one of my daughters can get on the uh, great British Olympic team to be uh, at LA in 2028. And I could be the proud father that I've always dreamt about. No, the serious point is, it looks like cricket, and it will probably be a T20 format of cricket. We'll get the go-ahead. It has been successful at the Commonwealth Games. It had been in the Commonwealth Games. It came come out of the Commonwealth Games. It went back in for Birmingham. Only women, though. Women's uh, cricket there, and obviously Team England got to the final. Edgebaston was a terrific venue for it. Um, the key point, the big point, is that the IOC want to try and engage predominantly the nation of India more into the olympic world than they have been because for such a large country and such a huge population they simply don't have the level of interest in the olympic games they certainly don't have the level of medals in the olympic games that their population would suggest they should be winning bring cricket into the games you have your audience there you would expect them from a broadcasting point of view the price would go up of the broadcast contract value in india for that for example. You would certainly expect viewing figures for it if you can attract some of the best players in the world and that is the key thing that's the challenge that tennis faced when it came into the games in 88 in seoul that is the challenge golf is still facing but is improving since it came back into the games in 2016 in rio can we get some of the best cricketers there it looks like cricket will be on the program for 2028 it looks as i said as though it will be a t20 competition now let's try and get some of those big names that people will be energized to see and engaged in supporting
1: and it looks like 2036 is sorted because after brisbane in 2032 india then staged the next olympics in 2036
0: although i've seen saudi arabia also mentioned as a potential um, venue that one would come with a huge amount of controversy as we as we sit at the moment some of it i think merited some of it Um, unmerited Uh, I think we know about the bigger issues the human rights issues in Saudi Arabia and that is key and that is something that should definitely you know be taken into huge consideration before awarding the games having said that learn from the mistakes Live Golf have made in going to Saudi Arabia but a lot of sport takes place in Saudi Arabia we've had you know big triathlon there this year we have a lot of motorsport take place in saudi arabia we have boxing and they don't seem to have attracted the same level of criticism as the golfers have so
1: or jordan henderson
0: there's a story (laughs) there's a story that, that needs to be told um about taking sport to saudi arabia it's it's a big story and one that we're not qualified to tell um right now but as a nation um the uk trade with saudi arabia i've already said There's a lot of sport taking place in Saudi Arabia, and we know that the IOC, it would be for them difficult decision but one that i think they would be brave enough to take because they are always looking as we said with india and the cricket for new audiences and new boundaries and new glass ceilings to break
1: yeah it definitely needs to be held in india or the middle east the olympics in the next 20 30 years doesn't it to maintain its position as the world's biggest sporting event talking of which sorry you wanted i was to say just going to say
0: it can't just keep going To the Far East, Australia, Europe and North America. I know we had the games in in Rio, but um, it's probably not going back to South America anytime soon. So we need to look at Asia, Middle East. We need to look at Africa as well. And and that's, again, something the Commonwealth Games are are talking about too. So we're
1: at Bisham Abbey with UK Sport and UK Sports Institute. Um, um, we were delighted to be invited along uh, to find out really where plans are ahead of Paris 2024 from an Olympic and Paralympic point of view. Uh, we'll hear some of the interviews in a moment, but what they have been saying today, UK Sport, and we know they're the overarching organisation that fund a lot of the sports federations to make sure that athletes can go to these games and make sure they're well prepared. That The games have come round incredibly quickly when you consider Tokyo only feels like yesterday, two and a half years ago, but a lot quicker than, than normal. And also what they really want to see, as well as winning medals, and they've said... On record that they want to be in the top five for the Olympic and Paralympics at Great Britain and Northern Ireland and, and that not just for these games but for games in the future but they also want to win but win in the right way as well
0: yeah And that is going to be key to the strategy. And we'll hear more about that very shortly. We'll be speaking to the CEO of UK Sports, Sally Munday. We will also be hearing from Matt Archibald. He is uh, the CEO of the UK Sports Institute. And also from UK Sport, we'll be speaking to Dr Kate Baker. Still to come on Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Stay with us for those interviews and our roundup of our news from the Games next. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Stay with us. We're going to round up our news from the Games, but we're at Bisham Abbey. And we are here with the UK Sports Institute and UK Sport today. We've got some tennis taking place behind us. These are the p- potential future Emma Raducanu's and Andy Murray's may be playing behind us.
1: Hopefully not Tim Hedman's.
0: And we've, well, I think that's a little, <laughs> that's bit, harsh, that's little bit harsh on, on, on <laughs> Tim. Uh, we've got some, some mowing taking place in the background. And we've got a view of uh, one of their high performance gyms at the moment where we know that some of the uh, athletes are there doing some rehabbing and preparing ahead of uh, the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Let's hear more then about where we're at as far as uh, Team GB and Paralympics GB are in the build-up to those games. Shortly, we'll be hearing from Dr. Kate Baker from UK Sport. We'll also be speaking to the CEO, that's Matt Archibald of the UK Sports Institute. But first of all, here is the CEO of UK Sport, the organisation which, if you like, manages elite sport and distributes the money Uh, to the national governing bodies to prepare the teams for the Olympic Games ahead of Paris 2024 and that is Sally Monday.
4: We're really excited actually about Paris next year. We've had some incredible performances this summer across world and European championships. Uh, We've got a number of sports and athletes already qualified for Paris next year at both Olympic and Paralympic Games. So yeah, we're feeling in, in pretty good shape but we've still got nine months to go and a lot can happen in that time. And
1: you said that on the record today that you want to be top five, both Olympics and Paralympics, on the medal table. Uh, we've performed better than that in in London and Rio and Tokyo. Is is that an underestimate?
4: No. What we what we're aiming to do is to be consistently top five. So not just at these games in Paris, but in LA and in Brisbane. We we want to be a, a consistently top five nation, and we've proven over the last few games that that, that is possible. Um, We want to be top five. That doesn't mean that we're not going to aim for higher, Uh, but top five is is where we want to be in both Olympic and Paralympic Games tables.
0: People keep using this phrase, it's a home games, because it's taking place in Europe for the first time since London in 2012. Why isn't it a home games? Why are UK sport telling us today that we need to forget that phrase?
4: For the um, general public, in some ways it's going to feel like the closest to a home game since London, because obviously the last two games haven't been on European soil. Um, quite often, the timing has been for, for watching the sport. It's been harder because it's been the middle of the night. Um, so I actually think for the viewer, in some ways, it's, it it will have more of a home game's feeling just because of the timings and how close it is and Brits have bought more tickets than any other nation other than the French so in that regard you can see why people are thinking it might be a home games. From a performance perspective it, it isn't a home games, it's, it's in another country it's in France, the French are going to want to beat us as much as every other, other nation and I think we've just got to um, um, take the advantages of it being close to home because it is just an hour away so there's some great benefits to it being so close um, but it's, it's still not going to be the London games so we've got to prepare for it um, in the same way we would any other games we've got to look for um, uh, every um, make sure that every stone is not left unturned in terms of making sure our extraordinary athletes are given the best preparation to enable them to fulfill their ambitions and dreams of becoming an olympic or paralympic champion
1: one of the things that came up today was risk and the fact that russia we don't know whether they're going to be there or not and the risk it could be distracting to the athletes i think was the quote how much of a distraction is it at the moment about the uncertainty and would you prefer that the IOC would make a decision sooner rather than later?
4: So what any athlete will tell you is that when they go to an Olympic or a Paralympic Games, there are huge distractions all over the place. Um, when they're used to going to their own sports, there's enough distractions there, but when you get into a multi-sport event, the, it, it, it's bigger, it's brighter, there's, there's all different sports and there's, there's so much to see and do. One of the things that we're very good at in this country is we're very good at preparing athletes for those distractions, whatever they may be. Um, what we can control is how we prepare the athletes to do these extraordinary performances. There's a whole other things we can't control, so let's not spend our energy on the things we can't control. Let's spend it on making sure that the athletes are prepared for any distractions, whatever they may be come games time, so that when it comes to them being on the start line or the start of the match or whatever it is that they're competing in, they feel ready mentally and physically to give the performance of their life, to make the British public proud again and hopefully for them to fulfil their ambitions and dreams.
0: And just finally, we want the medals. We want to see lots of medal moments in Paris, but we want them won in the right way. We want them won clean. And we want them won, if you like, in a way that's been well supported for the individual involved.
4: Yeah, 100%. Um, We are entirely about winning and winning well. Um, For us, um, winning is, is important. And it's important because it's important to the athletes, you know, that these are generally really competitive animals that really want to win. Um, But it's also important because British fans want want us to win, but we want to do it right. Um, We want to do it with integrity. Um, The sports um, are committed to winning and winning well. And we sit as UK sport behind the scenes, helping and enabling them to do that. And what we'll see next summer is... Uh, a whole load of athletes putting in extraordinary performances that are going to make us very, very proud because we'll be winning things and we'll be winning them really well. Anyway, I'd like uh, to let Callan, who leads the Performance Rehab
3: Centre. And will actually just give a bit of a uh, talk to what's happening here today and the type of work we do in the centre. Thanks, Matt. And, yeah, so we've got a few of our team Hello, I'm Matt Archibald, Chief Executive of the UK Sports Institute.
1: Firstly, thank you for inviting us around Bisham Abbey today one of eight centres around the UK?
3: Yes, we've got eight centres uh, dotted around the UK and um, we deliver different services from each of those and we also work out of a, a large number of national training centres which individual sports um, own themselves. So so we have a mixed mixed bag of uh, sites we work out. Bisham's one of the kind of bigger sites with hockey and uh, rowing Pretty much sort of centralised here, and some of their functions, rowing split across Caversham and Bisham. Um, but then we've got other sites such as Bath, Loughborough, Sheffield, Manchester. So fairly well geographically spread. Uh, we also work out of the uh, Curling Centre in Scotland, and recently, Botcher have started training in Larg. So there is a sort of fairly diverse geographical spread of our people around the country
1: fair to say, like us, you're, you mainly focus on Olympic and Paralympic sport? Yeah, pretty much
3: exclusively. Um, in fact, the only real reason we'd work with non-Olympic Paralympic sports is if we feel we can learn something we can take into that arena or, um, dare I say it, turn a profit that we can then reinvest in in olympic and paralympic world so unashamedly whilst we work and and look at and learn from um, other sports we work purely in the olympic and paralympic world and we do actually work with every single sport that um uk sport funds we are a partner organization a subsidiary of uk sport so we work extremely closely with them
0: tell us then a bit about your work because it's not just a traditional training center this is it
3: no, not at all. So um, I think we cover a few areas. We do do the basics. So we do have uh, several gyms across the country where sports can access them and make use of really good um, state of the art gym facilities. But we furthermore, we have lab labs, we have rehabilitation centres, um, we have office space for our practitioners. So we have a mixture of, of sites and we have a um, an innovation team that again work out of a multitude of, of sites and environments with different partners. So we are kind of even pre-covid we were an organization that was used to um kind of adapting and, and this sort of almost virtual and remote working it's something that we've done throughout our our years because there isn't one central base some some countries such as pat in paris they have insep and have slightly bigger centers which are sort of national centers of everything we are more kind of um uh, sort of spread out than that and um, for various historic reasons and tactical reasons among sports so you'll get Weymouth some sports need a, a track or a, or the sea uh, or your know, home pier pond for the canoeing so um, Cavisham, Thames and the, and, the, and the lake there so yeah we have to kind of adapt to, to work with the sports rather than make them all come to Bisham or Bath or wherever it is.
0: We love Olympics and Paralympics on anything but footy. Of course, that is why we do the podcast. We're less than a year out from Paris, the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. Where do you guys fit into that puzzle, that network, if you like, with names that people will know like Paralympics GB and Team GB and organisations like UK Sport?
3: Yeah, I I think uh, it's a really good question and we deliberately uh, don't go to the limelight. So we're we're not as uh, comfortable in front of the media as some of those organisations and rightly so. So our, our job is to help prepare the team. We work in partnership with UK sport and with the sports and with the BOA and the BPA so just to give a couple of examples with a sport um, you will often see our practitioners so that might be a physio a doctor a strength and conditioning coach you'll see them in a British cycling tracksuit for example uh, looking undistinguished indistinguishable from one of their coaches and and that's how we work for about 50% of our staff they're fully embedded within sports albeit they have the support of a a larger organization and different technical support as well so we have that side of things we then also have central functions such as performance innovation, performance data, athlete health, where we kind of aggregate services and and believe that we can do a a stronger job than any sport could do on its own, where we can amass knowledge and, and share it out within the system. And then at games time specifically, because we have this wealth of talent, you either have the practitioners who are working directly with the sports, getting an accreditation in their day job and being with the sport, or you often get our people uh, seconded across to Team GB and Paralympics GB, so they'll adapt their day job and then do a, a leadership role with um, the BOA or BPA it might be heading a prep camp, it might be doing some media operations, it could, could be any number of things. So we kind of intersperse and, and, and backfill. So a significant percentage of um, Team GB, Paralympics GB and the teams on the ground ground will be um, UKSI staff, probably about 100 people on the ground in Paris um, next summer.
0: And final question then, when we look back in a year's time at the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, will you be looking at things like medal tables to judge whether you as an organisation have been successful?
3: Yeah, no, I think we probably go a step further back than that. So we would more look at kind of contribution of our practitioners on the ground. So one of the metrics I'd have is, you know, how many people are actually supporting TGB and Paralympics GB. It's probably more for um, BOA, BPA, UK sport to look at those medal tables and assess that. Whereas we very much want to get as many athletes as as can to the start line so that people are are back and fit and healthy. So, yeah, our measures are, are a little bit perhaps longer term and more about the kind of people we're recruiting in and the service we're providing and the satisfaction that sports um, and athletes see in our service so slightly different but yeah we're 100% behind uh, getting as high up that medal table as well we do 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 enjoy winning um, as well.
2: Hi everyone, welcome. This is uh, is our physiology lab. This is one of three um, physiology labs that uh, UKSI operates. A lot of the time um, this space will be used for either athlete screening or athlete training, monitoring and and testing. I'm Kate Baker, Director of Performance at UK Sport. We want both Olympic and Paralympic teams to be in top five going forwards, not just in Paris, but in LA, in Brisbane and beyond. Of course that's getting harder and harder to do everybody's getting better at this stuff the performance standards are rising all the time they're learning from us as much as they're learning from other nations and therefore it's not as easy as it used to be to do so well but I'm confident that we ha- absolutely have the talent and the quality of world-class programs to support athletes to do that
1: you work with the federations that work with the athletes directly about getting them to perform you said it's a risk that we think that Paris is a home games why is that
2: Yeah, so if you think about it, for a lot of our athletes, considering where they're based, whether they're here at Bisham Abbey or in Loughborough or any of our other sites, it might be easier for them to get to Paris than it is to other locations within the UK. And so there's a risk there that we think it just because it's down the road and maybe only an hour and a half away that it's effectively a home game. It's effectively like going to a local domestic competition. That's just not the case. Uh, If we take that argument, it's more of a home games for other European nations who don't have the same challenges that we have in terms of accessing France. And so we need to take care to not be complacent. There are opportunities that exist. It's the first time we'll be on a European time zone since London. That means we'll get more support on our time. Uh, There'll be more friends and family present, which will give us the sense of an advantage. And we know the Brits are buying the tickets for the Olympics and the Paralympics. So we're gonna be well supported, but we need to, take it in our stride a little bit and make sure that we prepare as it's an away games.
0: We've seen so many sporting institutions in this country make headlines for the wrong reasons. I'm thinking British gymnastics, I'm thinking British athletics, British rowing. How important is it that the medals that are won and the places on the medals table that Great Britain and Northern Ireland achieve is done in the right way?
2: It's absolutely critical for us that that things are done in the right way. And what we've been talking about today is our ambitions around winning and winning well. We want to keep winning. We know that the the power of medals, be they gold or any other colour, can be transformational, not just for the people who win them, but for the communities that have supported them to get there and the fans across the nation. We don't just want to win, though. It has to be won in the right way. And so the negative stories that we've seen historically have been really challenging for the system. And I think we've responded with real support, but real challenge to those, ensuring that as we move forward, we can do so in a way which is safe and supportive for anybody who's involved in our system. And so winning well is at the heart of everything that we're we're talking about with sports as we move forward.
0: How do you quantify, though, a coach pushing an athlete hard and a coach bullying an athlete? Because coaches need to push their athletes to achieve. When does it go above and beyond and goes over that line?
2: It's a great question. And I think it's really difficult for us to draw a single line. What we know for one person Uh, will be completely different for another and we know that the art and the science of brilliant coaching is in being able to meet the athlete's needs where they are. So knowing the athlete really well, knowing what stretch looks like for that individual, knowing what healthy challenge and healthy competition looks like for that individual and meeting them where they're at is how we want our sports to continue to support their athletes. For some that might look like harder coaching but it might be what they're asking for and what they require. For others it might require a slightly different approach. We're asking and expecting our sports to be more flexible and adaptable in meeting those needs.
0: And do you think some people might be surprised about how data-driven the process to get an athlete onto that start line is?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess people may not know how much goes into getting an athlete ready in the round. So yes, there's a lot of data, but actually the the standard of coaching that is required in order to support a young, talented individual to get to a start line now is unbelievably different to where we've been historically the expectations on performance leaders performance coaches support staff outstrip anything we've ever seen before and so we're asking more of everybody and of course that's in a time where resources are tight and things are harder than they've ever been before and so uh, yes the data matters but so does the human being in the contact and supporting individuals
1: tokyo was only two and a half years ago it feels like there's been more momentum this time going into paris is it because it's a shorter cycle
2: I think I would agree with you. It does feel like there's more momentum. I think partly it is to do with the fact that it's a shorter cycle. I think there's a little bit more at play as well, which is as a system, uh, probably the GB system is more connected than any other Olympic and Paralympic system in the world. And the way in which we came together for Tokyo under the COVID context was absolutely unbelievable. A lot of the work will never get spoken about publicly, but what they managed to do to ensure that our athletes were ahead of every other nation in being able to hit the ground running in Tokyo was extraordinary. I think we have carried that momentum through with us, and we've probably carried some competitive advantage through too. And that's, alongside a shortened cycle, inspired people to stay in the system and hang on for Paris, which is going to be an extraordinary event.
1: A question I just remembered that my dad asked me to uh, ask Michael, in fact, on the podcast as well, about the World Athletics Championships. He was like, why are the Germans and the French not very good? When he was when he was watching in the 80s, the Germans were huge in athletics. Mm. Now you will know more about it across all sports. Where are Germany and France going to be in compared with Britain for Paris?
2: Brilliant question. And I feel like that's a question I need a crystal ball to be able to answer effectively. Look, it's a home games for, for France, and so we would expect them to put in a good show. They're having an interesting season. They've ha- they have had an interesting games immediately out from, from Paris. So normally in the games before your home games, we'd expect a different performance than the one perhaps we saw from France. And so I think we need to, to be ready for anything from France. They could have an extraordinary performance, and they, we know that's not uncommon with all French teams when we see them perform. Equally with Germany, uh, we've all faced some challenging times through COVID and that's true for Germany too. It's as much uh, a competitive advantage for them to be as close to Paris as it is for us. And so let's not take too much from where we see our athletes at the moment. The key is peaking at the right time. And so brilliant that we're doing well now. We need to continue that and we never know they might have a better peaking strategy than us. So let's hope not.
0: Some really interesting insights there from Sally Mundy, the CEO of UK Sport, Matt Archibald, the CEO of the UK Sports Institute, and Dr. Kate Baker there as well. And, you know, it's interesting, aren't we? We're, what, nine, ten months away from the Olympic Games and then the Paralympic Games to follow. And, and good to hear where we're at as far as the teams from Great Britain and Northern Ireland are concerned.
1: Yeah, and as I said, we, we heard there from Kate about the question that actually came from the last podcast that we were doing. We were about the World Athletics Championships. My dad contacted me afterwards and said, look, Michael and you reviewed some of the other teams and, and how they were doing, but where were the Germans? A uh, Famous Barry Davis quote, of course, uh, from the Olympics in 1988. And I think it is a, a fair point from an athletics point of view, and also, you know when when they're showing these graphs and usa and china are going to be top of the of the medal table and we're in the top five you've got japan and australia there and thereabouts as well france as you heard from kate don't really know what france are going to do japan as i said have come back brilliantly from tokyo but it, it is it does show how important and strong we are as a nation in comparison with a huge country that, like Germany, who were huge when we were growing up in the 80s.
0: Yeah, and we referenced, didn't we, France's poor performance with the silver medal at the World Athletics Championship, and I think they will be strong in some sports, and, and certainly, you know, we were told at this briefing today to watch out for them in two sports that I mention a lot, judo and triathlon. I think there'll be some really interesting cross-channel battles in those two sports, but if I'm to to take what we've been told and the steer we've been given today, I would expect to see France... Uh, high up on the judo and the triathlon medal tables which pains me to say because you know that those are two sports i've really pushed team gb uh believing that they are going to do really well in those sports i think it's been a bit of a cycle hasn't there because you know when there was the low of atlanta in 1966 um and we've got a blog coming up on our website soon about defending atlanta and the 1996 olympic games that, that i've written but that's a wider issue but from a great britain northern Ireland point of view that from the low of that one single gold medal to the introduction of lottery funding we then tapped into what was happening in australia and they do this in football all the time don't they it's like well look what france are doing we must go and copy them look what spain are doing we must go and copy them and actually it's like let's find our own path and our own route and initially it was something that we looked at what was happening with the australian institute of sport tried to replicate now uk sport have found their own path and its other nations that are now looking at what the uk are doing and australia if you like have come back around and they've started to try and poach some of our talent um first of all in terms of sort of coaching and and behind the scenes staff uh and they will come strong again japan obviously in the build up to hosting of their games invested a lot and we saw some graphs we were shown some graphs that actually they've probably gone on yeah Again, copying the model of what happened after London, which is Team GB and Paralympics GB got better, which had never happened before. So, you know, there is this cycle of sports. That The the challenge for UK sport is how to stay there or thereabouts. And we put those questions to our interviewees about, you've said top five today. Come on, we were top two. Top two in Rio. Why why are we now satisfied with being outside the Champions League positions? To be fair,
1: they're saying minimum top five. Yeah.
0: And they're saying consistently there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I
1: think just on the Germans' point of view, we're winning more medals. You, you think in Atlanta in '96, where we didn't hardly win any medals at all, we're now winning 60-odd medals. So that means someone isn't winning those medals either. So that that's the other way of looking at it. Um, and, and I think my dad mentioned about China not being very strong in the in the athletics. But, of course, China, top of the table with, with USA across all other Olympic sports.
0: And the other key thing that we were, were told and something that we discussed before, that... If there are no athletes from Russia and Belarus, that isn't necessarily an advantage to Team GB. In fact, that could be a disadvantage to Team GB. And UK Sport have been doing this analysis because if there are no athletes from those two nations, those medals are very unlikely to come to this country because they are in disciplines in sports, in events that Team GB wouldn't normally be competing at at the Olympic Games. In fact, they're medals that could be going to the likes of germany or italy or france or japan which could then propel them above where great britain are in the medals table so yeah some really key interesting findings and you know i think and i i put that question didn't i to to kate that some people might be surprised at just how much detail goes into to plotting those medal moments we, we've heard it on this podcast and on great british bosses as well where you know we spoke ahead of tokyo to stephen park and he, he said to us he says we're not going to win the medals on the track no. but watch us in mountain biking watch us in bmx and what happened
1: yeah when we did <laughs> and, and we and we certainly did um this is anything but footy uh, so thank you to uk sport and uh, the uk sport institute as well for uh, uh, inviting us down and hopefully we'll, we'll we'll have more on that as we build up to paris in 2024
0: will andy murray be in paris
1: it's a, it's a really big question. I'd love him to be there. Uh, according to himself, he shouldn't even play- be playing in the Great British Davis Cup team. Uh, they're in action in Manchester next week and he says that Jack Draper should probably take his place it follows the 36 year old second round exit from the US Open, the second time that's happened in as many Grand Slams this year of course following his exit at Wimbledon. Now Draper on his comeback from injury that saw him miss the whole of the grass court season reached his first ever major fourth round, losing out to eighth seed Thomas Rublev in four sets in Flushing Meadows. Elsewhere Katie Bolter reached her first Grand Slam third round abroad, i.e. away from Wimbledon and it comes as the LTA as an that the Copper Box Arena, somewhere we love, is the in the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, will be the venue for the Billie Jean King Cup playoff tie between Great Britain and Sweden in November. Uh, Britain last played there and won in 2019.
0: Staying in London, Jonathan Rowe won the men's big half around the streets of south-east London and finished in front of the Cutty Sark at the weekend. Ellie Thackeray won the women's race with David Weir and Sammy Kinghorn victorious again in the wheelchair races. Mo Farah finished fourth in what we're told, is his final professional race in London. Uh, He is in action, though, for the final time in what has been a farewell tour, which has slightly resembled the one that Elton John's been on. Uh, It will be in action, Sir Mo Farah, in the Great North Run this weekend. I will be there. I'm going to be in South Shields at the finish, covering that for Talk Sport, and we'll have reaction in a special podcast, a special edition of Anything But Footy coming
1: soon. Silver success a plenty for Great Britain at the latest canoe slalom world cup in L'Assou, the venue for the Paris 2024 Olympics. Joe Clark and Kimberly Woods both finished second in the kayak cross on the final day of competition. They'd also both picked up other silver medals in the K1 and C1 slalom events earlier in the week. The next competition, though, for the British team will be the World Championships here at the London 2012 Olympic slalom venue, the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre later this month.
0: Just thinking, if I'm having a chat with Mo Farah in South Shields at the Great North Run, I can properly look him in the eyes and talk about that event. With a certain amount of knowledge, as someone that has completed it on occasions.
1: Good, good, good point, well man. You managed. know,
0: I mean, when I talk to him about you know Olympic medals and running around the track, I've never competed on no. that stage, but but I have how, done. How much quicker will he be?
1: compared with
0: you <laughs> well my quickest time was two hours two minutes well, that's impressive so um yeah it'll be a lot quicker than that uh, it'll be about an hour ahead of where i would be i'll be much happier in the interview zone um at, at the end of it uh, anyway i digressed uh, let's <laughs> let's return to the water where hopefully the first british boat to qualify for paris 2024 has been confirmed at the world rowing championships in belgrade they are friends of the pod so congratulations to the parrot Mixed cox four uh, we spoke of course to morgan feist noise and frankie allen on the podcast as well ghidra racco and ed fuller and their cox erin kennedy also part of that crew who put the quota place for the paralympics gb team after winning their heat we will round up all the rowing results again in next week's pod. We'll do it towards the end of the yeah, pod I because we so. know yeah. that the rowing contingent do like to listen, but they always switch off after their bit. Yeah,
1: they need to listen all the way through. The World Championships keep coming thick and fast with British Gymnastics confirming the women's team for the 2023 Championships in Antwerp at the end of this month. It's world silver medalists from Liverpool Alice Kinsella, Jessica Gadarova, Odine Achangpong, Georgia May Fenton and newbie Ruby Evans who makes her first major championship appearance having starred at the European Juniors last year and it means there's no Jessica's twin sister Jennifer or the European team gold medalist Becky Downey but she is named as a reserve and what we learnt today is that the gymnastics have qualified all of their spots at Paris 2024 already. So that's why they may be mixing up some of the teams for these world championships, because it's not not about qualifying to get to the Olympics because they're already there.
0: Yeah, and UK Sport and the UK Sports Institute were telling us that that helps the sports if you can get qualified early, because it gives them a year, not to worry about just getting to the start line, but a year then just to try and hone the performance and the various advantages that they might be able to gain over the next nine or ten months so we're looking forward to the uh, world gymnastics, because, you know, I was a bit bereft at the end of the world athletics. <laughs> Same at the end of the world rowing. And now, phew, another world championships. It's gymnastics. It's gymnastics and the canoeing to get my teeth into. And I've got the Great North Run for Talk Sport um, reporting on it, not running it, coming up soon as well. So still to plenty to come as we head into the autumn months. You can always check out our sporting calendar and all our latest blogs on the website. Look out for my one where I defend why the Atlanta 1996 Olympic Games was better than we think coming soon that's at anythingbutfooty.com and as ever you can get in touch anytime at anything but f on x or at anything but footy on insta facebook and threads and I need to get back and mow that lawn
3: sports social podcast network